0: So next week we begin our series for Christmas called The Coming King, as you'll see uh, the title of it behind me. That's next week, and this week, after nine months, we conclude the book of Galatians, the letter of Galatians. It's really been an amazing journey going through Galatians. Um, I can't believe it's over, or just about over. Has it not been an amazing exhibition of how good our God is? Jesus Christ, who gave himself to deliver us from this present evil age, the spirit-bearing fruit of righteousness within every sinner, the fa- within all sinners who come to faith, the Father willing it all into existence, Galatians shows us how powerfully and how comprehensively God is at work on behalf of of his sons and daughters, how we see that Christ is the hope of the world. What else have we? Christ is the hope of the world, and that's what the series has been entitled. And today as we look at the last few verses, I want to review a bit of the themes that have gone throughout Galatians, so we're going to see a lot of verses from Galatians, we're also going to see that this whole time, Galatians has been pointing to a new creation. And then as Paul bids the Galatians farewell, he bids them grace. And I want you to see that grace is power. So that's what we're going to see today. That's what we're going to remember as we survey Galatians, I suppose. Um, let's read The last few verses, I'm going to read the whole conclusion, actually, verses 11 through 18 of Galatians chapter 6. So follow along with me if you have a Bible. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, we praise you, Father, for this letter. What a treasure you have given to your church through the hand of Paul. Lord, I pray that as we consider the themes in Galatian, as we consider these last closing words in the letter, that it would not be common to us, but would change us, would create something new in us, transform us, bring life here. We can't do it except by the power of your Holy Spirit. So with that divine power, we ask you move, you work, you change us. In Christ's name, amen. So when we began Galatians all the way back in March, I told you that Paul's trying to answer three main questions in this letter. The questions are, one, what's wrong with humanity that Judaism or human doing cannot remedy? Two... How can a person have right standing with God? And three, what time is it? So each one of these questions is briefly answered in the conclusion that we just read. We saw last week that religion is, and, and human achievement are driven by the fear of man and by pride. And both are sinful, selfish motivations. So that's what's wrong in question number one. Question two and three find their answers in verse 15. So look at that again, verse 15 of chapter 6. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but it mean nothing. Circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. They count for nothing. Now circumcision is the identifier as to what makes a person Jewish and what makes a person not Jewish. So it's Jew and Gentile in large part. Circumcision and uncircumcision count for nothing. God is not impressed by your heritage. God does not love you anymore if you are a Jew or a Gentile, and as we also have seen, God doesn't love you anymore if you're a man or a woman. He doesn't love you anymore if you're rich or poor. It only matters that you believe in Jesus Christ. Galatians two fifteen through 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians three seven. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Galatians three fourteen. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Galatians three twenty eight through twenty nine. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, it doesn't matter. Your bloodline, your gender, your socioeconomic class, they give you no advantage in God's eyes. God sees no human nobility. God's favor is only extended to those that have come to Jesus in faith. That have come to clothe themselves in the Messiah. Additionally, God is not impressed by your talents, by the things that you have accomplished, your, your works of performance. So, cutting the skin or not, you have no boast in the flesh. Only Jesus' accomplishments mean anything. And by now, you should have this one memorized. I hope you have this one memorized. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Galatians three thirteen. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, "Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree." Galatians three twenty five through twenty seven. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, who belong to Christ, one, Christ. In Galatians 5.24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the only achievement that would cause God to turn his head and look at you and smile is that which Jesus has accomplished. Everything you have ever produced apart from Christ is cursed and must be crucified. God is not impressed. He is only impressed by his Son. God is not impressed by your religion. He is not impressed by amazing stories of behavior modification He's not impressed if you've thrown off organized religion to live in some other kind of freedom, some spirituality. It is all unimpressive to God. Circumcision or uncircumcision, it it doesn't matter. It's living by a law either way. You must receive the grace of Jesus Christ for justification. Galatians 2.16, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Galatians 2.19, for through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Galatians 3.10-12, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them, the things of the law, shall live by them. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. You do not impress God. Your lineage, your works, your religiosity are utterly unimpressive. They amount to nothing. They are vain attempts at building a tower to heaven and it only leads to ruin and to chaos. All human factors amount to a pile of ashes. But God And take those ashes and breathe life into them. Where there was spiritual death, he brings forth new life. New creation. And God does this by taking you a sinner. 17 says, therefore, if anyone is son, Jesus Christ. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Circumcision or uncircumcision, any human factor, they don't matter. So Paul's question, how can you have right standing with God? By being a new creation. The only thing that matters is that you become a new creation in Christ, who loved you and gave himself for you. Now with that declaration of new creation... Paul is announcing that the new age is here. I am very new age. The law was a part of the old age, which was passing away, and the Judaizers, they bound themselves to that which was dying. The cross inaugurated the new age, where all things are united in Christ, all things in heaven and on earth, as Ephesians 1.10 tells us, that new creation has dawned, upon every person who has come to the cross of Christ for salvation. Do you realize that? The new age, the new creation has dawned upon you if you have come to Christ. Galatians 4, 4 4-6. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent His Spirit, the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Glory. What glory in those few verses. So Paul set out to answer what time it is. It is the dawn of the new age. The new age has arrived. The new creation has come. It has dawned upon humanity. It started as the tiniest of seeds, a single man from Nazareth. And now it is growing like a tree filling the whole earth. Circumcision or uncircumcision matter for nothing, only new creation. But what is this new creation in us? What does that look like in us? Well, there are two parallel verses that Paul uses, one in Galatians and one elsewhere. In 1 Corinthians 7.19 it says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. Creation that is also keeping the commandments of God. So there's something about the new creation that is also in line with keeping the commandments of God. Do you remember how Jesus summed up the commandments of God. Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The Apostle Paul, or rather, the Apostle John wrote that whoever loves has been born of God. If you love, you have been born of God. That's First John two seven. So to love God and to love your neighbor is to be the new creation. It is to keep the commandments of God. Now the parallel in Galatians is five, six. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. There you have it again. Having faith in Jesus means that you're a new creation. You've been born of God. And that means that your faith will find its expression as you love one another and as you love your creator. The faith in you that God has planted in you, that God is growing within you, finds its expression, is working out in love. So, to be new creation is to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is to believe that He took the curse for sin upon Himself, and is to believe that He brings you into the family of God as a son or a daughter. And now, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, has come to dwell within your heart, empowering you to love in such a way that no human source can be cited, only the divine Creator. God is causing heaven to dawn in the hearts of undeserving sinners. This is the new creation. Faith in Christ expressed through love. The new creation. Look at verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. All who walk by this rule, a little bit of irony from Paul, a rule is a law, and he just spent a whole lot of ink on how we don't live under the law, by, he's not talking about a set of commandments that we are enslaved to, that we are driven by, he's talking about something else, another kind of reign, another kind of rule. He's talking about the Holy Spirit who has come to rule in your hearts. The Holy Spirit who governs his new creations. So all who walk by this rule, that's the same as saying, all who keep in step with the Spirit, which we saw in Galatians 5.25. All who keep in step with the Spirit are all, all who walk in new creation that they have been created into. And for all walking by the Spirit, Paul prays peace and mercy upon them. Isn't it an interesting thing that Paul prays peace and mercy upon the church? He's writing to the church. And if we've come to faith in Jesus, we realize that peace and mercy is already upon us. It's already been given to us. So why pray peace and mercy upon a people in which peace and mercy is already upon It's because we're blind. We don't see it. We don't believe it. We for, we're forgetful. Just like Israel of old was forgetful, we are forgetful. We need to remember that God's peace and mercy is upon us every moment of every day and live by it. If God answered Paul's prayer, what would happen? what happened to the galatians what would happen to you if you knew that the almighty god has given you peace and mercy and so when we read that prayer we must remind ourselves not just the pastor from the pulpit but remind each other remind yourself maybe when you wake up in the morning to receive mercy Your sins are forgiven. You are given the righteousness of Christ to possess. You are called by the Father a child. Believe in it. Walk in this mercy, unfathomable. Ephesians 2, 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved what mercy believe in the mercies of god his mercy is active towards you in part to produce peace peace that nothing can shake to your heart like philippians 4. you who can be against you let the peace of god flow into your heart like philippians 4:7 says a peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in christ jesus Have you understood what is ununderstandable? We can, somehow. (laughs) That's what this is. If Christ is your life, then let the peace of God melt away anxiety, doubt, every struggle to please Him. He is pleased. Because in you he sees his son and he loves you. Let that peace flood your heart. Be at rest in what Jesus has done. Receive the peace that surpasses understanding. And you will understand a peace that surpasses understanding. That's mind blowing. Again, Paul prays upon all who walk by the Spirit. All who live by that rule of walking by the Spirit. And then he adds at the end of verse 16, and upon the Israel of God. (laughs) He loves irony. The Israel of God? This cannot mean ethnic Israel. He just... Spent all of this time saying, one becomes an heir of Abraham, Israel, by faith in Jesus Christ, not through bloodlines. Circumcision or uncircumcision, they count for nothing. There is neither Jew nor Greek. We are all one in Christ. The age has changed. God has created something new. God makes covenant by faith, not covenant through circumcision and nationality even. And he said to ethnic Israel that this would happen. In Isaiah 42, Behold, my servant, whom I will uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. He's talking to his servant. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and the, and the new things I now declare. Isaiah was prophesying that the Messiah would come for the nations. God declares a new thing. God creates Israel anew. And so the Israel of God at the end of verse 16 is And Israel of all nations, of all people, who have entered into covenant through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul says this another way as he writes to the Philippian Gentiles For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul, a Jew, is speaking to the Gentile Philippians saying we are the circumcision. That's the same thing as saying we are Israel. We don't put confidence in the flesh. We put our confidence in faith in Jesus Christ. Jews and Gentiles are the circumcision, are the Israel of God if they worship the Spirit, glory in Jesus Christ, and trust in no human factors, including bloodlines. So, Paul's prayer for peace and for mercy is for all who walk by the Spirit of God, the Israel of God, which includes us. And his case is rested. All of his arguments, all the points he's driving at, are done. And so he writes, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The marks on Paul's body are 195 lashings. Stones hurled at him to kill him. The beatings, the shipwrecks, All the cost of taking the gospel to the nations. The marks on Jesus' body are the cost of saving the nations. The marks Paul has received from the whip are the marks of Christ. Because Paul's suffering every one of those 195 lashings, every stone thrown at him, every insult hurled at him, all of them are a little mini-drama of the sufferings of Jesus Christ that the people in Galatia and the people in Ephesus and Philippi and Rome could never see Christ crucified, but they can see this man being whipped and beaten and scorned for their sake. And in this, they see the Savior of the world. Paul's sufferings show the world what Christ has suffered for the gospel, what he has purchased for them. And so he gladly shares in Christ's sufferings that there might be more who worship by the Spirit of God and boast in the cross of Christ, that that new creation would grow, the mustard seed would grow. And if worship of Jesus increases through Paul's sufferings, And every scar he bears is a treasure, a very mark of Christ. He wants the Galatians to remember those scars, to think about them again, and in them see their Savior who fulfilled the law, who took their curse, who gave himself for them. So he's saying, See Jesus in my scars. Bask in the peace and the mercy that he gives you. And don't trouble me any longer. Believe in what the marks of Christ have accomplished. Put away the contention. Put away the doubt. Don't listen to these false teachers. Put it all away for faith, for mercy, for peace. In verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. You know, Paul ends every one of his letters with some form of grace to you. Here he says, grace to your spirit, which is to say, may, grace, may, may Christ's grace be at work in all of who you are, in everything that you are and do. May the grace of Christ be at work in you. But I fear that grace today in our uh, culture has become so muted and its meaning diluted, perhaps even beyond recognition. Maybe grace is a word on a rock in your garden or a word on a necklace that you wear, something that gives you a warm feeling or something that's stenciled on your wall at home. Well, I hope that grace, wherever it is, is so much more than that for each one of us. You have heard, I hope, that grace is a gift and it's given undeservedly and these things are true. But grace is more than that. It is more than that. Grace is power. Grace is like spiritual electricity running into your very own spirit. Or It's like mighty waters surging within you. Divine power, grace, is given to you because you are thirsty and you have come to Jesus for drink. And so we go to John 7, one of my favorite things that Jesus said. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Rivers Of living water. This is no stream. This is no trickle. This is a deluge. This is rivers of living water flooding your spirit, surging into all aspects of your life. The strongholds of the enemy cannot stand against the surging force of many rivers. The Holy Spirit surging within you. Grace to you. Here in the Mohawk Valley, we saw the power of surging rivers recently. We ended up helping a woman named Lisa clean up her house, her basement, from three, three and a half feet of water that came surging in, smashed open the door, took everything arranged in the basement and smashed it all up against the back wall. Somehow it broke open a closet door and jammed dressers and shelves and all kinds of dirt and mess and objects into this closet. Just smashed it in there. It was like a trash compactor. It was powerful. So we did have the opportunity to help her gut the basement and clean it out and install a new door where one was destroyed. That's the power of water destroying. This flood, this flood brings life, creates anew. Imagine if it reorders everything in such a way that they are new and alive and vibrant. Imagine that door that got busted in was a stronghold of the enemy that stands no chance against that kind of power. The single word which describes all of God's power directed towards sinful humans is the word grace. Grace. This is not just a warm fuzzy. This is electricity. This is a flood. This is power. Jesus said in 2 Corinthians 2.19, he said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Boy, we need a sermon on that one. I'm tempted, Vin. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what I should say right now. <laughs> power is made perfect in weakness. Imagine the perfect power of Christ. What limitations are on it? And that power is perfected in you. It's called grace, and it's it's at work. It's happening right now. Boy, that's stunning. The power of Jesus Christ is being perfected through undeserving, weak you as you depend upon him, as you trust in him, as you boast in him. His powerful grace is creating within you a whole new order, a whole new creation. And it doesn't matter where you have come from, what you have come from. It doesn't matter what you have accomplished. It doesn't matter what laws you live by or have lived by. It only matters that the grace of Christ is making you new. March was nine months ago. Nine months of Galatians, of justification by faith, of warning against false teachings of the power of the Holy Spirit, nine months that the Spirit has been growing us in the truths of new creation. What will the legacy of Galatians be in this church, in each one of our lives? Will it merely be a box to check? We got through Galatians, check on to the next Or will these past nine months give birth to new life, new creation? What fruit will be born in our lives and in this church? What testimony will you have that could encourage this whole church, that could encourage all people? Will our lives be marked by self-serving works and religion, or will our lives proclaim the gospel even if we must bear the marks of Christ? Will we listen to teachings that are contentious? Or will our lives be electric with Spirit, the Spirit's power of grace surging within us? All that matters matters for every single human being, for every single one of us, is new creation. So what are you doing? What are you doing to cultivate the new creation in your life, the fruit of new creation in your life? And when we step away from the book of Galatians, that's what we must ask ourselves. What are we doing to see the new creation alive in us? And not just in us, in all of this world. For by the cross of Christ, God is uniting all things, things in heaven and things on earth. What are you doing? What are we doing? Let's pray. What a treasure! Again, what a treasure you have given us in Galatians. What a treasure it has been to walk through the book as a family together and to hear stories of what you're doing in people's lives, where you are creating anew, to be encouraged in that direction. God, let this not be lost on us, but let the words of this book flood into our hearts and into the world all around us with such tremendous power that the enemy has no chance and that there would be many more new creations in Christ. Oh God, create something new. Create something more in us, around us, through us. We are yours. We give ourselves to you, mind, body, and spirit. We love you and help us to love. We believe, help us to believe. In all these things I pray in Jesus Christ, peace and mercy upon us. Amen.